The world as we know it continues to evolve and change into something that we can only hope to understand. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate on a daily basis. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today I sit down with a great friend of the registry, Jack Seymour, who has been a great contributor to our news efforts through a series called Transwestern Startup Stories. Jack works at the San Francisco office of Transwestern in the real estate advisory role and has been on the front lines of connecting with early stage companies across the Northern California region and beyond. His mission is simple, to understand the drivers of their business and understand how the intersection of technology, culture, and workplace help create some of the most impactful enterprises of the future. Today's interview is with Data.World, based in Austin, Texas. Jack, tell us more about the company. Data.World makes it easy for everyone, not just the data people, to get clear, accurate, fast answers to any business question. Their cloud-native data catalog maps your siloed, distributed data to familiar and consistent business concepts, creating a unified body of knowledge anyone can find, understand, and use. Data.World is an Austin-based, certified B Corporation founded by serial entrepreneurs from Bizarre Voice, HomeAway, Indeed, and Trilogy. CNBC selected data.world for its upstart 100 list of startups on the path to becoming tomorrow's household names. And the Austin Business Journal has named them a best place to work for three years running. Three weeks ago, data.world announced it has closed a $26 million round of financing led by the Tech Pioneers Fund. That brings data.world funding to date to 71.3 million since its launch in 2016. Data.World has 75 employees, the vast majority of which are in their Austin office. Lisa, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. I'm doing great. Thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where do we find you today? I am sitting in my home in the middle of Austin, Texas. Great, great, great. Um, and we are also mobile as well. I'm in Seattle and Jack is in San Francisco. So uh, this is kind of a national podcast, if you will. Uh, Lisa, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Um, tell us a little bit about your title um, and what it is you're doing over there at uh, data.world. A um, little bit about kind of your role, responsibilities and, and what brought you to the company. Absolutely. I have been with Data.World for about a year and a half as their head of HR, and I am responsible for the full employee experience. Um, I work with our team members from their candidacy through onboarding. Um, I oversee compensation and all of our benefits programs, our employee growth. Um, our amazing company culture, and I get get to be a part of that. Um, I've, since I've been here, the company has actually almost doubled uh, in size, and I've brought in about 25% of that staff since we've been off-site during COVID. So that's been a pretty unique uh, challenge in, in my role here. I originally came to the organization because I've worked in the technology scene in Austin for about 25 years now, 
And Data.World is the kind of company that, that I target. It's a high growth, exciting company. Um, the things that I'm looking for in organizations are, what are we doing? What's the product? What's the tool? What problem yeah. are we solving? And is, what's the value of that? The other thing is, who's leading it? Um, and I am really, really fortunate to work with an incredible group of successful leaders who have strong names in the Austin scene. These are a bunch of, of folks, our original founders are a bunch of folks that I've been keeping an eye on. And when they got together and started their own company, it was a real clear, oh yeah, I want to be a part of that. Uh, so the leadership is a, is a big key for me. And then the culture. What is it that the company is building themselves on? What is the, the, the foundation of who we're trying to be as an organization? And data.world absolutely drew me in that area. Lisa, that's that's really great. Now, just before we jump into some of the other topics about, you know, your company specifically, tell us about this whole process of, you know, hiring people during COVID and how that went. Uh, clearly, these are not normal times. So I'm, you know, curious to understand kind of how you guys went went through that. You know, when you work in the in the startup scene, there's not a whole lot of normal anyway. It is figuring it out as you go and and trying different unique things. And let's face it, the technology industry has evolved significantly over the the big chunk of time that I've been a part of it. So it's always something new. This has been incredibly unique and and, and um, certainly one of the more challenging and, and interesting moments in my career. We have at data.world are really built our culture around collaboration and teamwork. And so this has definitely put a, a wrench in that. It's made it a, a lot more challenging and we've had to come up with creative solutions. Like everyone else, let's face it, we're spending a lot of time in 2D on these video calls uh, and, and that's certainly helping. But how does that impact and how has that impacted the, the hiring and recruiting process? It's really been um, significant, both positively and negatively. One, of course, we had to change our methodologies. We had to change the process and the practice. We're not inviting folks into our offices because guess what? We're not there. Uh, but there have also been some positive pieces of that. Um, things like, well, it's easy enough to ask someone to interview over the course of a few days instead of asking them to take off an entire day and come come visit us. It's easier for us to you know, organize and orchestrate those kinds of meetings. The cons, of course, being, like I said, our culture being a big part of who we are, it's harder to see and feel that through the interview process. And as a result, what we found is that we're spending more time to ensure that our candidates are really understanding that and really buying into it. And they're feeling like they've gotten uh, all of their questions answered and they really want to be a part of this team. And so I'd say it's lengthened yeah. the process a little bit for us, but in a positive way. No, that's a that's a great example, Lisa. Um, I I really want to kind of um, to start off. I I kind of want to dive into Austin, as Vlad mentioned today. The three of us are kind of spread around in you know what are known as three tech hubs, right? San Francisco, Bay Area, Seattle, and Austin. Lisa, as a native Austinite or someone that's been in Austin for quite some time, uh, I'm not sure whether you would call yourself a, an Austinite yet, but. You've undoubtedly seen Austin transform, you know, over the decades into what it what it is today. How would you compare the old Austin with the new? Well, I'll uh, I'll give some of my history and age myself a little bit. My family moved to Austin in 1983, so uh, we like to giggle that we were some of the original founders of this of this town, and it was a town back then, and it very much is a, a city now. So certainly seen. 
uh, significant changes in Austin. I've had the opportunity to live in a lot of cities, by the way, including Seattle, throughout my life. And there's a genuinely unique energy and character to Austin. Austin embraces change like no other city. Uh, the, the technology evolution over the last 25 years in this town alone really, really shows that. It really shines here. We're some of the first cities to a lot of things, but we also cherish our history. And that unique balance is, is really a cool part of Austin and what makes Austin, Austin. And by that, I mean our, our art scene and our music scene, which was really a foundation uh, of our uh, initial economies here in Austin. We also have an incredible uh, parks and, and rec uh, area. We have, if my, if my stat is, if my, my data is still correct, um, we have more park space per capita than any city in the Southwest United States. Um, we have an incredibly low crime rate. We have a very high education rate. There are seven universities in and around the Austin area. So we've got a great talent pool too, which is what's bringing a lot of that technology here. Once you get here, you find out how cool the town is and you don't want to leave. So that's, that's really a, been a huge part of the growth that we've seen in Austin as well. Right. And I, and I think you may have answered uh, this next question I have with some of those great points, but you know, what is it, what is it about Austin that is so attractive to these technology companies specifically um, that we're seeing either headquarter themselves and come up, you know, from seed round of funding right through and develop as an Austin based company, as well as the companies that have maybe a headquarters in the Bay Area, New York, Denver, and then have satellite offices uh, in Austin. Well, let's start with the basics and, and kind of the obvious it's the financials, right? It is less expensive to office in Austin. And by the way, we don't have a state income tax. Could you imagine California not having to pay that every year? So there is, wow. certain, yeah, <laughs> there's a real, uh, real significant, um, draw for employees in particular. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to rub it in Jack either. Same here in Washington. Oh, <laughs> um, so, uh, so, you know, there's the financial implication, the financial advantage of, uh, officing here. And of course of that for the employees and the, the talent base here, as I mentioned, uh, we've definitely got the, a strong education. So, so the, the people are here. I'd say those are probably the most significant draws. And like I said, it, it's, it's a high, energy, very youthful community. So we can look toward the future when you're looking at building in Austin uh, as well. Whereas, you know, California, it's it's a little bit harder for a 20 something to hop out of school and buy a home and, and settle down in, in the West Coast and uh, the Bay Area as it is in, in Austin. Would you say Austin has been attracting a certain type of technology company? Uh, for example, you know, is it more attractive to kind of like software companies to be able to find the correct talent uh, within Austin? You know, does biotech, you know, have the same kind of feelings? How, how would you speak to talent in Austin there? Yeah, I would say that that would have been the case several years ago, but we've really kind of caught up with all tech industry at this point. So, and in fact, 25 years ago, I would have said Austin's a hardware play, not a software play. Only a few years after that, it was very much a software play. So we've watched kind of technology find its way here. And I'd say we've got a really balanced pool now. And not only what kind of technology we're looking at, but also the size and, and shape and feel of the companies, um, right? We've got some very long-term 
uh, established organizations, big companies here, as well as very established smaller companies. We've got high growth, exciting new large organizations, as well as the, the startup cool companies like ours. And Lisa, I'm going to touch back on some of the culture discussions that we started earlier. And you mentioned during your recruiting how everything is taking longer. And part of that is trying to assess you know, how the cultural fit might be with a potential candidate. And you've taken some you know, speaking roles about this and talked about kind of how you guys are doing this. But maybe kind of as an overview or maybe a, you know, insight into the organization, tell us a little bit about how the you know, remote work thing has impacted your your culture absolutely we we i will say i commend the the company and our employees our team members for the way we have embraced this change uh and and that's certainly something we're seeing universally uh it's remarkable how people are so capable of adapting uh, and we went into this not knowing what it would do for us. We're a startup. We're a lesser known company in a really big uh, and high dollar industry. Frankly, this could have sunk us pretty, pretty easily. Thankfully, we've got a strong, resilient team and, and we've got a good name and have built an incredible tool. And so we have been able to uh, maintain and even grow during this period. In fact, for the first half of the year, we're well over 100% of our of our goals, both in client success and, uh, let's face it, revenue. Uh, so doing, doing really strong performance in a really challenging time. And how we did that, it started with we had already built those bonds. We've developed a culture of teamwork, of collaboration. And so to translate that when we went you know, back into our home offices, we knew foundationally we were still a collaborative company. It was going to be harder. We were going to have to find new tools to do that. Um, but, but again, kind of those, that's an operating principle of our organization. Uh, and so it, it was the humanity within it that's, that's helped quite a bit. From there, it's been being very creative, right? We're reaching out to between my CEO, who is incredibly well-networked, and some of our, our other uh, team members, our, our culture club that we have in the organization, and the various networks I'm in, we are beg borrowing and stealing every idea everyone's got out there, right? Yeah. Um, how many virtual happy hours can you have? Well, we'll, we'll tell you the answer. Give us another few months. Um, so, <laughs> so we're just doing everything we can to keep our, our team members excited, and engaged and, and keep it fun because that was a big part of, uh, and I don't just mean the, you know, free lunches and, and ping pong tables and right, happy right. hours, but truly the camaraderie, the spirit, the silliness and playfulness that we had in the office, how to maintain that virtually is, is definitely harder, but we're working really hard on it. And like I said, throwing, throwing every, uh, every noodle at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah, and and the physical space played a big role in that in the past or past. I mean, pre-COVID, and we've seen that across a number of other companies and industries. Also, how you know the office becomes sort of the the you know the way the company works essentially, right? So you know what what does that mean for you guys going forward? Do you do you see that? Do you see that continuing? Do you see the physical space being important? We do. I do. I think we're absolutely going to see a change in how it operates and, and we've even even just the setup of our office we've always had a very open office space with kind of shared tables and lounge areas and again very conducive to uh collaboration and and 
that's the kind of environment when we go back that we want to go back to. We've already announced to our team and frankly publicly many times that we're going to be amongst the very, very last people to return to an office space. And there are a couple of reasons. The main one being because that's not how we want to work. We, we don't feel like we're going to be in a better position if we're between plexiglass wearing masks and staying apart from each other. That's not the collaboration we mean. I would rather be, you know, just a, a closer distance in 2D than feeling like we're very, very far apart in the same building. So that's, um, that's one of the reasons. And the other one is we're already being successful like this. So there is simply no reason for us to be even a tiny part of the problem. We don't need to be encouraging our team members to get out and about and, you know, have to do the things that are required to be done to, to be in a work environment and, and to be part of the problem that's going on already. We'd, we'd prefer to be part of the solution and, and do, do what the scientists are telling us to do, right? Do what the data is telling us to do. Yes. It's in your name. <laughs> you got it. And to, to that point, Lisa, with the decision-making process on when to go back to the office and, you know, how that's going to look and how that's going to play out. How is that decision being made um, at data.world? Um, for example, are you gauging, you know, employee sentiment as part of that uh, decision-making process or is it kind of a top-down thing? Absolutely. Uh, getting the input from our team members. We've done a couple of surveys during this time to get the, you know, a combination of how are you feeling and what are you wanting or needing? Uh, and the executive team, we assess that regularly, very regularly, um, weekly, I would argue, to make sure that we're keeping in mind kind of, like I said, I, I don't consider us a human resources organization. I consider us an employee experience organization. And so how our employees are feeling and thinking and what's going on in their world is really important to us. So we're talking about it and reassessing it constantly. Uh, right now, we know that the most comfortable and safest thing for our team members is to stay at home, is to continue the, in, the environment we have right now. We absolutely intend to have office space and, and get our smiling faces back together again at some point. I do see that being a little bit further out in the future, and certainly it'll change. It'll be um, some level of hybrid work from home, work from the office, work from whatever coffee shop you're most comfortable in, uh, because we have proven that we can be successful like this and still collaborate and still work together and, uh, in this kind of a, a remote space. Lisa, how has your workplace growth strategy changed as a result um, of this kind of new remote policy and new hybrid policy when things get back to some semblance of normal? How has that growth strategy changed now? Are you looking, you know, six months out, 12 months out, 24 months out as far as, you know, headcount growth and what that hybrid situation looks like? We are. We are always looking um, between 12 and 18 months out for our hiring plans. Of course, those, those change regularly during that duration. Interestingly, we really anticipated COVID slowing down that growth, and it turns out it was just the opposite. Uh, nothing like a $26 million infusion to, to go ahead and uh, be able to hire a little bit more. And so we're growing pretty much at the rate that we'd anticipated 12 to 18 months ago, full steam ahead for us. And we feel really, really fortunate and understand that not everyone has that going on right now. And so we feel really lucky yeah. that we do have a consistent hiring and that we're able to keep up with our hiring plan. We didn't know if it was going to play out that way. 
right? It's a good problem to have. That's right. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier too that uh, you're part of a few HR kind of networks. I'm curious, you know, what are you hearing across the industry from other people um, and ops leaders as far as the future of that startup workplace? Is it in line with what you're doing at Data.World with kind of a hybrid um, model going back or are you hearing some other rumblings out there? Absolutely in line. I would say that, that there is uh, a choir basically singing the same song right now and not even just in the tech startup world. I'd say even the, the big giants, you're already hearing from Indeed and Facebook and Amazon talking about their, their future and, and the, the work from home environment, this very remote environment. So, you know, when the tech giants get comfortable with it, certainly uh, we, we smaller up and coming folks will jump on that same bandwagon. So it's absolutely what most of the network is is really talking about. There are, of course, outliers. There are always going to be those folks who, in fact, we've heard of a few companies who are adamant that their employees uh, are back in the office right now. It's That's not the philosophy that we'll follow. I'd say that we're right on trend, really, with most of the market talking about uh, the future being very much more hybrid uh, then we've even right. seen it over the last 10, 10 15 years. Uh, yeah. I'm anticipating this really evolving the way, and, and not even just in tech business, the way businesses operate, right? This is revolutionary. This has made us all have to take a step back. My 80-year-old father knows how to use Zoom now, right? So, so other industries are changing because of this also. We're going to see lots of business operate differently uh, because this, because what COVID has forced us to learn and do and figure out. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think if you are not innovating, you're not going to be around, likely, right? So I think that's that's certainly, um, you know, this has been a great sort of accelerator of some of those trends, and others have talked about that many many times over as well. Exactly. In terms of kind of talent and workplace and kind of you know what you guys do. Um, over the last, you know, six seven months, um, we've had to deal with some, you know, new trends and new things, like you said, that we haven't had to deal deal with. You know, which one of those do you hope to forget, and which one of those do you hope <laughs> continue on? Oh, that's um, that's an interesting question. I don't know that we're going to have the opportunity to forget much of what's uh, <laughs> what's happened this year, um, in spite of all of our well wishes uh, about it, but. No one wants to see what's happened to our economy and the individuals who've been impacted in such a negative way. Uh, so not so much trends or, or things that I want to forget so much as things that I, I miss now. Um, I want to forget that restaurants were all shut down. I want to forget that we couldn't go to the movies. I want to forget that, you know, that my team members couldn't hang out together and, and, celebrate these wins live and in person. Yeah. But I will say there, there are also, positives to that, that I'm glad that we're able as humans, as I said earlier, to evolve, to adapt, to learn new things when, when things are put in front of us. Um, and I mean that in so many areas right now. COVID is one of the enormous things going on in our society right now. And what's been pretty cool is watching how people can can figure out the next step. How, as I said, we're trying to come up with creative ways to do virtual happy hours instead. And yeah, yeah. I think the um, that kind of piece of humanity is are the pieces that I want to hold on to that I'm glad we get to see. 
And there's been there's been a lot of sort of bad news written about how the uh, pandemic has impacted not uh, just economy but just people in general. I do want to sort of close this off by focusing on the on the positive. And so I guess our final question would be. What are you optimistic about? Well, I think I'd go back to what we were just saying a few minutes ago about um, people's ability to evolve and the idea that that this forced that. There are times in history where big things happen and there are positive outcomes and where this feels like a very negative, heavy moment in time, and it is. I truly believe there are these really positive outcomes on the other side of this from the little things like, hey, folks, people are going to have to commute to and from work a lot less, you know, these these tiny (laughs) moments to much bigger social impacts that we're going to see. Great. Um, Jack, Lisa, thank you very much for your time. It was it was a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, this is great. So nice talking to you guys. Thank you very much for the invitation. Stay well. Thanks so much, Lisa. 